0: The scripture reading for this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. It can be found on page 6 of your bulletin, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And any, anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Buenos días. La lectura viene de Mateo, uh, capítulo 5, versículos 31 y 32. También fue dicho, cualquiera que se divorcie de su mujer debe darle un certificado de divorcio. Pero yo les digo que el que se divorcie de su mujer, a no ser por causa de fornicación, hace que ella adultere. Y Hot potatoes, huh? We're continuing today in our study of the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew. And if you are just joining us today, We returned to this study last week, and Jesus is describing here what life in his kingdom is like, the way that the grace of God changes our hearts, our lives, our relationships. And so in the beginning of Matthew 5, Jesus teaches about a Christian's character, as described in the Beatitudes, that a Christian is to be humble, uh, repentant, uh, deeply dependent upon God. And then Jesus talks about a Christian's witness that were to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And he talks about the Christian's righteousness, how people are to live to an impossibly high standard, really. A high standard of love. Not using murderous words, he says, killing people in our hearts. Not lusting after people uh, sexually, committing adultery in our hearts. And now Jesus here, he turns his attention to the difficult matter of divorce. And we're going to need God's help, as we always do, though. And so let's pause here and let's pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need your help, not only because of the challenging subject matter, but because our hearts are not naturally inclined to want to listen to you. Even when you have the best of news to give us, we're still resistant. That's just the bent of our heart away from you. And so we ask that you would send your spirit and soften our hearts. Give us ears to hear. And help us to know your deep love, even tough love, for us. Make your words come alive and give us discerning ears to be able to weave through and wade through these various words from you. We pray this in Jesus' name and with expectation. Amen. Let's start here. There are two ways that we might read Jesus' difficult words about divorce wrongly. Two ways, two wrong ways to read this. First, it would be wrong to think that Jesus is denying the very real pain of a broken marriage. Because some of you are experiencing now or have experienced in the past what can only be described as nearly unbearable pain in your marriages. God never minimizes your suffering. In fact, did you know that in the Bible, God likens himself to a heartbroken spouse whose spouse has cheated on him and divorced him. This is the God of the Bible. He's with you even in this. Nor does God ever ask you to be in denial about your own heartache either. Some people hear this or have even taught this passage and will take it to mean that you should just pretend your pain away. uh, That you should just sort of, Mask it off or paint over your problems. Suck it up because exiting is just not an option. No friends, divorce is complicated. It's controversial and it is extremely painful. We must start there. As one commentator said about this passage, helpfully, there is almost no unhappiness so poignant as the unhappiness of an unhappy marriage, and almost no tragedy so great as the degeneration of what God meant for love and fulfillment into a non-relationship of bitterness, discord, and despair. And far too many of us know too well the pain of those very words. It'd be wrong to think that Jesus is denying the very real pain of brokenness in our marriages. But secondly, on the other hand, it would be very wrong to try to downplay Jesus' difficult words. This is actually why Jesus talks about divorce in the first place here in the middle of this sermon. Because some religious teachers in his day were saying that a man could divorce his wife for just about any reason at all. I mean, really, we have these lists in ancient writings. Guy loses interest in her. Fine, they said. She proves to be an incompetent cook. Go ahead. I kid you not. And they would point to a procedure found in Deuteronomy 24 as justification. That's what Jesus is actually quoting here in verse 31. When he says this certificate of divorce is often talked about in the course of discussions about marriage. But this was actually a procedure that God gave to Israel to slow people down from being too rash to end their marriages. In fact, it was also meant to protect women in that day who were left socially vulnerable if divorced. But now people were twisting it and conveniently so. In fact, we too are very tempted to minimize Jesus's teachings, aren't we? Or even to ignore it. These are not convenient words at all. It just sounds so extreme, so unreasonable. You might even say so cruel, maybe. A few years ago, Gwyneth Paltrow described the end of her marriage as a conscious uncoupling. A lot of people laughed at her wording, but let's be honest, we we like the way that it kind of gives us a way out. We like minimizing the real damage of divorce. There are wrong ways to read this and to relate to this passage. Okay, but what's the right way? What could Jesus possibly mean here that can be helpful actually for every single one of us here in this room? And what we find is that Jesus teaches us about the permanence of marriage, first of all, and secondly, about the violence of divorce, and then thirdly, about the perseverance of God. The permanence of marriage, the violence of divorce, and the perseverance of God. Let's take a look. The permanence of marriage. Here's what Jesus is telling us. That marriage is actually a lot more durable than we think. And the reason why I think you and I get this wrong often in our own thinking is that we tend to think of marriage as a contract rather than what the Bible calls a covenant. What's a covenant? What's a contract? What's a contract? A contract is a legal agreement between two people or two parties, like a lease for your apartment or a phone agreement. It's not easy to get out of, but it is possible, and you definitely don't have to sign up for renewal if there's a better thing out there. That's how a lot of us view marriage, sort of as a contract. But the Bible tells us that marriage is actually a covenant. You see, a covenant involves not two, but rather three people, three parties. That's why when Jesus teaches on marriage later in Matthew in chapter 19, he quotes from Genesis and he says this. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And then he adds, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see, we don't always see this. God is always in the mix of marriage. And not just when the couple is super religious and not even when the couple necessarily even acknowledges him. But he is always there in the covenant. The two and him together making three. Jesus here is simply describing the nature of marriage, that it's covenantal, and because God is always a part of it, that means that the covenant of marriage is a legal bond. Yes, but it is also a spiritual bond. This is what we have then. That when two people take their marriage vow, you know those words, I take you to be my wedded wife or wedded husband, and I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in plenty and in want and joy and sorrow and sickness and health as long as we both shall live. And then when those words, those vows are sealed with the embodied oath of sexual union, what happens, we do not get this, what happens is that a mysterious, unseen, powerful, spiritual bond is formed between the two individuals. The other day, my kids and I were watching a construction crew just around the corner here repave part of the sidewalk on our block, and one of them asked about that gray, lumpy stuff that they were pouring on the ground. And so we started talking about this amazing thing called cement. If you've ever thought about how amazing cement actually is concrete, I mean, how do you mix this gray powder that you could just blow away with water, which we drink all the time, that when you combine it, sort of almost like magic, that it can become something so hard Something so permanent that people can walk on it. And something so strong that even cars can drive on it. We sat there puzzled together for a little bit. You see, it's not much different from that. You can take two things that seem so soft and so flimsy on their own, like our words which almost seem like a powder that can blow away in the wind, and then you take them and join them with our bodies, which are themselves, you know, so breakable, so passing it seems, yet you mix them together, our vows and sexual union, and they create a cement-like bond in marriage that we can hardly get our minds around, a bond that is permanent and powerful that can't be undone simply when our emotions wane or when our words and our will decide otherwise. What Jesus is telling us is that the bond of the covenant of marriage is so permanent that human will and human decision alone cannot undo undo it. So enduring that even human law cannot simply nullify it, not in God's eyes we tend to treat the beginning and the end of marriage as if it's simply a personal decision that you can say, I'm out, when in fact you are still in. Because your words all by themselves are not enough to sever that bond. And you can want the marriage to be over, but in fact it continues on. Which is why Jesus says in verse 32 But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery if she remarries. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery because, for all intents and purposes, in God's eyes, you're still married to your first spouse. Jesus is not trying to be mean. And he's not even trying to be strict. He's simply trying to help us understand the way things actually are in the marriage bond. Now, right now, somebody out there is saying, my goodness, how depressing. Uh, you're saying to be married basically is to be stuck What could be good about that? And I think what Jesus presents to us is that this covenantal view of marriage, in fact, rightly understood, it doesn't make you more stuck. It makes you more secure. Here's what I mean. Because some of you in marriage are deathly afraid to show your flaws. And some of you not married are deathly afraid of marriage because of the thought of somebody seeing you for who you really are in all your flaws. Or maybe because you're afraid to see your spouse's flaws. Because you believe that once the truth is known, then that'll just be the end of it. And so maybe that's why, I don't know, you're performing and pretending so much even in that most intimate of all relationships. But you see, if you close the exit door, you eliminate the option of bailing out when the going gets rough. Actually, it gives you freedom to finally be yourself with all your lumps and warts and bruises and flaws and sins to allow yourself to be in full view, to be loved And not to be alone. Because you both have promised. Before God and witnesses. With God as chief witness. In this covenant bond. That you'll do this. As long as we both. Shall live. You see it gives you freedom. It gives you security. This lifelong commitment. Knowing that. No one's going to go nowhere. Giving you grace to work through your problems and to find healing in your wounds. What it also gives is a unique experience of the perseverance of God. You see, because the Bible tells us that marriage is a reflection of God's relationship to his people. That in places like Isaiah 62, we're told this, that as a young man married as a young woman, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God rejoices over you. You get a little taste of the grace and the glory of God in the permanency of your own marriage. And in Matthew 9 and Matthew 25, Jesus calls himself the bridegroom of his But check out Hosea 2 and Jeremiah 3 and other places where God describes himself in relationship with sinful people like you and me. Foolish and wayward people that turn to other things and treat them like God. Believing that everything but he can protect and deliver and save and make me significant and make me loved. Jesus says we're like a spouse that turns from their spouse. And runs to other lovers. God as a heartbroken discarded spouse says this. If a man divorces his wife and leaves him and marries another man. Should he return to her again. You have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. By the roadside you sat waiting for lovers. He's talking spiritually of course. I gave faithless unfaithful Israel her certificate of divorce. And sent her away because of all her adulteries. But listen to this. He continues, return, O unfaithful people. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. Only acknowledge your guilt that you've rebelled against the Lord your God. Return, unfaithful, adulterous people, for I am your husband. Who's a God like that? forgiving and persevering and truth-telling, did you notice? Not pulling back on calling the evil and the pain what it really is. Even when we bail out on him, he never bails out on us. Do you know a God like that today? The permanence of marriage gives us a living glimpse of the perseverance of God and the permanence of his love for us. And so living out of that becomes a grace to us, giving us more and more of the grace of God. Since our marriage is to image the devotion of God to his wayward people, Jesus does deny, as we've talked about, that we can get divorced for whatever reason we want. The covenant of marriage is designed to be lifelong. But please note, that doesn't mean that it is unbreakable. Because it can be broken in extreme circumstances. Which brings us to what I'm calling here the violence of divorce. You see, divorce is permitted... But not simply when you've fallen out of love. It's not permitted because your spouse is being a jerk. Rather, the Bible offers two legitimate grounds for divorce and remarriage. And I don't mean to present this overly simplistically because life is really complicated, especially when it hurts like this. But two legitimate grounds for divorce. The first one we find here in verse 32. It's adultery. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. The second ground for divorce is often called willful desertion or abject abandonment. We read about this one in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this is when a spouse who's either not a follower of Jesus or who was but is hard-hearted and refusing to repent has abandoned their spouse, whether by physically departing or by totally refusing to fulfill the responsibilities of the marriage covenant or by making the marriage unlivable through abject abuse, that in such circumstances that one might be permitted to divorce. In each of these cases, divorce isn't a severing of the covenant, It is rather permitted because the covenant bond has already been severed by an act of moral violence. With no remaining signs of repentance or the prospect of restoration. You see, adultery and desertion just take a sledgehammer to that cement bond of marriage. It's tragic It is violent, it is possible, but Jesus tells us it is to be quite rare because marriage is more permanent than we often like to think. So what then? How shall we respond? Let me close with a few words to I hope just about all of us today. For those of you that are currently unfaithful in your marriages, do you recognize that one of the greatest kindnesses that God has ever shown you is in the giving to you of your spouse? I urge you to heed and see your spouse's tears and to see the carnage that you have created in your marriage. And with all the love of God, I urge you and call you to repent and to turn from your evil. That you would open your heart to your spouse. That you would open your heart to God. For those of you who are struggling, even suffering, in a severely broken marriage, we weep with you. We weep with you. Again, there there is almost no unhappiness so poignant as the unhappiness of an unhappy marriage. It's true. I'm so sorry. Jesus' words are no easy words. And I pray that's not because of how I personally presented things in the last few minutes. Because Jesus really is trying to protect you and your soul from deeper harm. And you might be saying, you, you just don't even know what I'm going through, Pastor. And you know, you're right. You're totally right. But I know someone who does. I know someone who knows exactly what you're going through or what you went through years ago. You know, his name is Jesus. Jesus was never married, but he was no stranger to betrayal. He's well acquainted with the worst kind of heartache and yes, even physical abuse. And if you are saved by grace, don't ever forget that Jesus is your perfect spouse. You are not alone. You need to hear him say to you from Joshua 1, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And could we together start doing everything possible or continue doing everything possible to restore your Marriage in this moment, that just might sound like the worst of ideas. Whatever your circumstance, don't try to do this alone. This stuff is so complex, not only biblically, but circumstantially, emotionally. You you really need people, you need leaders, you need friends in the church to help you sort through this. And of course, if you are being physically harmed, please get safe right away. For the church community, then, will you step in and walk with people? Friends of yours who are struggling in their marriages. Because living in light of this passage is just not possible apart from the support of loving friends. Sacrificial support, time-wise, energy-wise, emotionally, of loving, stick-in-there-with-you friends. Over the years, as I've walked with couples, on the verge of collapse. I've got to say the real heroes were not their pastors. It were their friends, friends of the couple who were on the phone at all hours of the night, offering support or tough love, friends who offered a sofa to crash on, friends who offered food, friends who offered to take care of the kids in times of need. You know, as a fairly small and growing church, We haven't always been able to provide all the resources needed to support people who struggle in this way, but I'd like to call our community together. I'd like to do that and recommit ourselves today to doing better, to doing what we can. And not just in providing crisis care when things melt down, but rather what you might call preventative care earlier on. Because let's face it, many people, including Christians in this generation, in this city, get married and we barely have a clue about what marriage is all about. What can it look like for us as a whole community to engage in this together? For those of you who've been wrongly divorced, I'm praying today that you don't get overwhelmed with false guilt or anger at Jesus' words. Can someone who didn't get a divorce on biblical grounds possibly remarry? The, the answer actually is yes in certain cases when there has been a, a humble repentance and admission of wrongdoing in the mix of the relationship. There, there's just far too much though. Far too much stigma placed on divorce these days, especially in traditional cultures. You, dear friends, need to know divorce is not an unforgivable sin. And you need to know that you can in every possible way be right with God if you're walking humbly before him, even in the face of great and grave brokenness in marriage. But will you humbly agree to agree with and to surrender to what Jesus teaches here? Because, you know, he's the author of life and he knows how life and even our marriages work the best. I think he's earned our trust by his sacrifice for you, his love for you on the cross. For those of us who are married, look. Even if things are looking all right, today is a good day for you to renew your covenant vows. Primarily out of love and joy and not fear of the worst. But a passage like this, it really ought to humble us, shouldn't it? Because marriage meltdown really can and does happen to any of us, to all of us. But let me also say this. Too often, it's the wives who take more initiative in cultivating their marriages. So today, brothers, brothers, maybe today can be a day that you go to your wife and say, hey, will you read this book together with me? I'd love to strengthen our marriage. And if you're ready to do that, then let me suggest a book. It's called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller. Or maybe you go to your spouse and you say, I think we might need to see a counselor. Will you take that initiative even today? For those of you who are unmarried, some of you are saying, my goodness, I'm never getting married now. (laughs) That's it. Deal sealed. But look, it's right and it's proper to stand in awe before the responsibility of marriage and the power of the marriage bond. Yes, marriage is a joy. Yes, it's a blessing, but it is nuclear. It is. And we ought to approach marriage soberly and in the fear of God. So don't take for granted that you know what marriage is all about. Involve people in your dating relationships early on. Invite accountability. Look for honest feedback. You might even start referencing and reading that book that I mentioned earlier, The Meaning of Marriage. It actually has a great chapter on singleness as well. And don't worry, you're picturing yourself reading a marriage book on the metro or somewhere in a park bench nearby. At least here, no one in this church will think you're being too eager beaver if they see you reading a book on marriage. Don't worry, they'll think you're wise. At least I will. Smart and humble. For all of us, every single one of us, do you know this God who pursues you this relentlessly? Have you experienced his covenant, love, his marital love, Whether you need God's forgiveness in marriage today, or maybe it's God's healing in marriage, or God's wake-up call, or God's encouragement, this is where you will find it, in him. Do you, dear friends, see with the eyes of your heart, not just the permanence of marriage, and not just the violence of divorce, do you see the perseverance of a God who loves you so do you know this relentless savior? Your spouse, your bridegroom, his name is Jesus. Let's pray in his name. Jesus, we're looking to you. Oh, help me, Jesus. Take whatever what was said and please apply it in all the right ways in the way that only your Holy Spirit can do. Help us to respond and cover over any error or misguided ways of phrasing things or presenting things. Holy Spirit, help us to follow you. Help us to have soft hearts before you. Because we need you and we need your amazing grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.